Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. We are continuing, of course, our series on parables. So we are in Luke chapter 14 this morning. If you'll be finding that, we will read our story in just a few moments. Luke chapter 14. When you are planning an event, any event, uh, there is one key element that overrides everything else. Whether it is a church event or a wedding, perhaps a birthday party, you name it. Whatever the event is, there is one key element that is more important than everything else. Now, most men are thinking, well, of course, it's the food. We have to know what kind of food is going to be at this event, and that is why we often ask questions like, what's on the menu? Because that's going to go a long way in determining whether or not you have a successful event. And while I don't disagree with you, that's not the answer. When I go to a wedding, I do want good food, but that is not the answer that I'm looking for this morning. You ladies might be thinking, well, it's really a combination of things. It has to do with uh, decorations. It has to do with the venue that is where you hold the event, or maybe even the attire that people are supposed to wear. And again, I realize that the right environment does play a big part in whether or not the event is successful, but it is still not the most important element. So instead of just keeping you guessing, why don't I just tell you what the most important element is to any party that you might be planning? And that most important element is that the guests actually show up. I mean, the most important element to any event is that the guests that you have invited to come actually do, in fact, come. Because if they don't, all the planning, all the preparation, all of the expense and time is wasted if hardly anyone or no one at all shows up. A little while back, we had our Sunday night church picnic. We had some 270 people show up, which we were very encouraged about. We had, when we were first planning that event, we had decided that around 200 would be a successful event. That's what we were sort of shooting for. So the fact that 270 showed up was encouraging to us, so much so that we've already scheduled another one for next year. Though, of course, we did put it off a few weeks. We scheduled it for the second Sunday in September so that hopefully the weather will be just a little bit cooler. But had we gone to all of the trouble of planning that event and only a handful of people showed up, we would have not been encouraged. Instead, we would have been discouraged and frustrated, and we certainly would not be planning another one for next year. I mean, who hasn't seen the disappointment on a child's face when for whatever reason, most of his or her classmates simply did not show up for the birthday party? As much as he enjoys opening presents and eating ice cream, the snub of his friends overrides it all. Doesn't anyone like me, Mom, she says later on that evening. Why didn't any of my friends show up? It's discouraging to hear, I can't make it. 
It's encouraging to hear, thanks for the invite, I'm happy to attend. And it's not just that we want a large attendance at any event that we might be planning, it's that acceptance or rejection to an event is internalized. That is, we get a certain part of our worth or self-esteem from what others think about us. Now, whether or not that's biblical, that's another story, but the fact is, it's true. If people respond favorably to our invitation to something, that makes us feel better about ourselves. Our social standing is impacted by who we are associated with and how many people we can associate with. That is why there is such a thing, though I do not think there ought to be, there is such an occupation, and I put that in quotes, there's an occupation these days called influencer. And what that means is someone on social media has a lot of followers. So someone is paying them, I suppose, to do various things so that the word gets out to all of these followers. The point is that an invitation is not just an invitation. There are emotions and reactions tied to how people respond to the invitation that we give them so that it's a bigger deal than merely the event itself. Well, like so many things, this is not new nor invented, certainly not with the advent of social media. So we are going to look at a parable today that deals with this very topic. Though, of course, we are going to notice that there's much more going on here than a dinner. Because as you remember, a parable is designed to, to teach a spiritual truth. And therefore, this is not about just supper. So let's look at Luke chapter 14. We'll start in verse 15, and we will examine a dinner invitation. Now, before we read it, I want to ask you, do you, are, do you think you are on the guest list? Have you been invited to dinner? And if you have been invited, what is your response? Well, let's look at this story and hopefully find out. Luke 14 I'll begin in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, the first thing we need to see this morning is 
the specifics of this event, and so we're going to notice that this is the social event of the season. This was no ordinary party. This was not a casual get-together at the last minute with friends. This is an A-list event that the social elite of society have been invited to and would be expected to attend and would be the envy of everyone else who did not get this invitation. But as usual, we need to set the scene before we jump right into this party. So you've still got your Bibles open. Let's see what's going on before we get to this parable. Verse 1 of chapter 14 says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, so we know that the setting is Jesus is in a home of one of the Pharisees, and they are enjoying a meal, but also having conversation. I say enjoying a meal, and that might be a bit strong, because this conversation is going to get a bit awkward. This table fellowship is going to get a bit tense as Jesus begins to say some things. They start by discussing what is and is not lawful to do on the Sabbath, since it is a Sabbath on which they are dining. And you know well enough to know that the Pharisees and Jesus had some disagreements about what was lawful to do on the Sabbath. In the next section, beginning at verse 7, Jesus tells a parable about a wedding feast. The gist of that parable is don't seek places of honor at such event. Instead, allow the host to make that distinction. In other words, if you go to an event and you sit in a prominent place, the host might have to come over and say to you, I'm sorry, that spot was not reserved for you, and you have to go to a lower place and you will be shamed. On the other hand, you might come to an event and you sit in a humble position and the host might come to you and say, oh, no, no, this is not where you are to sit. We have a special spot for you. And in that sense, you would be exalted. And so the idea here of shame and honor is in play. And that is going to take part in the parable we are looking at as well. In verses 12 through 14, Jesus instructs them on who it is that they are to invite when they do have a banquet. Now, typically, of course, we invite people who are our friends, those who are part of our own social caste in society, which was true to an even greater degree in the first century. But as Jesus is often doing, he takes a radical approach and he says, don't just invite people who you know or people who are a lot like you. Instead, invite the outcast because those outcasts cannot repay you for your hospitality. And then he promises that they will be blessed at the resurrection for this kind of social interaction. All of this then leads to the statement that we find beginning in the verses that we read this morning. It's found in verse 15 where this unknown, unnamed man who is part of the table fellowship, he simply makes this statement, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if this was a common saying in that time, sort of like the trite Christian phrases that we sometimes throw out. Or perhaps this man was making a heartfelt plea that all in the kingdom will be blessed. Now keep in mind who he means by all 
is probably his faithful fellow Jews. Regardless, it prompts the parable that we are looking at this morning. So we are told when the parable begins in verse 16, we are told that uh, this is a banquet of some type. We're not told specifically what it, what it is. We do know that in the previous parable, it was a wedding banquet. And so that might be true here. It might not. But the things that Jesus says here are not just confined to a wedding feast. They would certainly be applicable to any type of banquet. And again, we know this is not an ordinary banquet or event because of the greatness that is found here. It's called a great banquet. We are told that many are invited. At the end of the story, we know that the man's house is very large and therefore more and more are invited. So this is not an intimate dinner with a few close friends, which is why I've called it the social event of the season. Anybody who was anybody would hope to receive an invitation to this. And we would certainly expect that they would readily agree to attend. You don't need to talk like we often do. Well, who else is coming? Like, I want to know who else is going to be there before I commit. You don't have to do that here. Because they know that anybody who is anybody in this society is going to be at this particular event. And therefore, their own social standing is going to be improved. Because again, who we socialize with impacts our own social standing. I don't know about you, but I've not gotten a lot of invitations to events with high society people. I tried to think of an example for this sermon. But any remote example I could think of of some time that I got an invitation to some great event I decided it just wasn't worthy of this sermon and would uh, certainly come across as a bit lame. I've never gone to the Oscars. I've not gotten an invitation to the Emmys. I've never met a president. I've never dined with a famous athlete, which I suppose tells quite a bit about my own social standing or lack thereof. But I dare say if I did get one of those invitations, I would accept it. Though I care nothing about the Oscars, I never watch them. Though I care nothing about the Emmys, I don't watch that stuff. But if someone gave me an invitation to it, I would readily accept it because I would want to go and see who I could see, who I could meet. And of course, I'd want to brag about it for years to come, right? Bragging about events that you are invited to is half the fun. And that is why we go, so we can tell people for years that we got to go and who it is we met. Now, we also know that social standing gained in this way by peer approval can also be quickly lost. Someone at the top of their field can be blacklisted these days because of one errant tweet that goes viral. I mean, we see that happen with stunning speed. But in the case of this ancient banquet, there would have been two invitations. The first invitation would have been given and the people would respond, which certainly seems to be the case here. It would be similar to those cards that some people send out now that says, save the date. I don't understand those, just send me the invitation. But regardless, they send out these save the date cards to let you know that you're getting an invitation later. So it's in essence two invitations 
But here it's even more uh, severe because in this case, it's an early commitment. They would have RSVP'd something else that many people have forgotten about. But they would have RSVP'd to this first invitation, therefore giving the host the time and the, the numbers to put everything together so that he could have the right amount of food and get everything set up. How often do I say in announcements, you have to sign up for this so that we know how much food to prepare. And there is a cutoff. Here's the date. You have to sign up by this date. And how often do you ignore that announcement that I make? And you don't sign up. You just show up instead. Well, that's not the major point of this parable. That's just a side note. At any rate, when the second invitation is given in verse 17, it is simply to tell those who have already been invited and they've already accepted that invitation. They've already said they would come. Verse 17 says, okay, go out and tell them that everything is now ready. The time has arrived. Every planning has been done. The party has been set up. Nothing is left to do but enjoy the celebration with friends and, of course, later to tell everyone that you were present at the social event of the season. But since we've already read the whole story, we know that that is not the way things play out here. And so our second point this morning is the stunning excuses of the elite. These people who have been invited to the social event of the season now begin to make excuses and we're only told of three, but these three are representative of everybody else. Others would have said similar things. The first, he says, has recently purchased a piece of property which he now needs to go inspect. Now, it seems to me that you would have expect, inspected the property before you bought it, but I'm no expert on property transactions. The second man says something very similar. He has some oxen that he has purchased, and he needs to go take a look at them. And again, it seems that it would have been prudent and you would have done your due diligence before the purchase, not after. The third man says that he has recently been married and therefore he cannot come. Opening up all kinds of jokes about this man's young marriage, which I will refrain from going into this morning. Now on the surface, this one seems to be somewhat legitimate because you can find statements in the Bible where newlyweds were exempted from certain things, but that does not qualify when we talk about a social event like this. So once again, this is just an excuse. These are all excuses, and the host is well aware of this. In fact, some scholars believe that this has all been calculated to shame the host. Again, in a society that was honor-based, this is extremely important. Remember, I mentioned at the outset that we can fall from the social ladder quickly with an ill-timed tweet. Perhaps this man has fallen from the grace of privileged society for some reason, and all the guests who have been invited and agreed are now backing out in order to bring shame upon this host. Now, all of us are occasionally invited to events or activities that, frankly, we just don't want to attend. Now, I'll be honest and admit that I'm much more likely to agree if there is food involved. And I don't mean nuts and mints. I, need, I mean something more substantial. But we must also admit that sometimes we make excuses to avoid attendance. 
A recent excuse that has become very popular is to say to someone who invites you, well, out of an abundance of caution, I think I've been exposed to COVID and I don't want to put you in harm's way. I've thought about using that excuse multiple times. Haven't done it yet and now you know that if I do it, I'll just be making an excuse so I guess I won't be able to do that anymore. A more local example of an excuse, you get invited to an event and you say, Tennessee is playing football at that exact time. I can't come to your event. I'll be attending or watching the game. And frankly, that's on you for planning an event during a football game. Or a more general excuse, we simply just say, well, I've got other plans. Hoping, of course, that the person doesn't ask us what those other plans are. Sometimes we're just plain lazy. Sometimes we are uninterested. At other times, something better comes along that we would rather go to. That's not just an attitude or approach of high school students. We are all prone to that way of thinking. I like the t-shirt. I don't own it. I don't want you to buy me one because I won't wear it if you do. But I like the t-shirt that says, sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to come. I mean, at least there's honesty in that. But in our parable, the host is understandably angry at the stunning excuse of the elite. He's not just mad because of the time and money that he has spent in getting ready for this event. It's not just that. It is the betrayal he must have felt from those who have already agreed to come and then refused. It is his wounded pride and his standing in society. It is the shame that he feels in being shunned by everyone in his community. And no doubt the embarrassment that this is going to cause, not only on this day, but going forward as well. We know that meals in biblical days were much more than just nutritional events. They were social events where fellowship was prized over food. Where you sat at an event in relation to the host was a public testimony of your status, which is why Jesus told that parable I mentioned a few moments ago. Whom you had around the table said a lot about who you were. Remember the days when we were in school? I don't know if they still do this or not, but when I was in school, the school cafeteria, I mean, you knew who you were by where you sat in the school cafeteria. There was an athletic table or two, there was a popular table or two, there was the smart table, and there was a bunch of other tables with other categories that I won't mention, but these kind of groups sat together in the school cafeteria, and so you knew who you were based on that. And in biblical days, when you accepted an invitation to an event like this, it was expected that you were going to reciprocate, that you were going to invite them to a future event. And so now this host knows that not only is no one coming to his event, but he's not going to receive invitations in the future. He knows he's going to be left off. He will not simply be repaid for his hospitality. So what does he do now? How can he possibly salvage this situation? Not primarily to, to ensure that the food does not go bad, but how can he somehow hold his head high in society in the days to come? Well, we've already been told what should have happened. Jesus has already told them who to invite to a banquet, and now we're going to see that in the parable. 
He tells them earlier in verses 12 through 14 that when you have an event like this, you need to invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and the poor, and you will be blessed. So although this is certainly not his first choice, that is now what this man is going to do. And so this parable is a picture of what Jesus has already proclaimed. And so we come to our third point, which is the surprising summons of the outcast. Now, surprising in the sense, in one sense, it shouldn't be surprising because, again, Jesus has already said this, but it is surprising in the sense that no one normally invited these kinds of people to their events. But sometimes our own plans have to fall apart before we realize that God's ways are better. So here again, there are two invitations that the servant of this host issues. The first is to the very groups Jesus mentioned. And it shouldn't surprise us that they readily respond. As social outcasts, they will be shocked at receiving this invitation, and therefore they would have readily accepted the opportunity of a lifetime for them to come to such an event. But then there is a second invitation, owning to the greatness of this event, the, the size of this man's house, even though these outcasts have been invited, the house is not full, and so a second invitation is given, this time indiscriminately. Go out into the highways and byways and invite anybody and everybody to come in. And we are not told whether these individuals come and therefore whether the house is full, but we certainly assume that that is the case. Now, as in most any story, we like to try to find our place in it. We like to put ourselves in the position of one or more of the characters, usually in a favorable manner. In other words, we want to be the hero. We want to be the good guy in the story. And there are certainly several options for us in this particular drama, options whereby we can insert ourselves and in so doing, learn the lesson that Jesus is teaching. First of all, as you might expect, this is not primarily a lesson about whom you should invite to your house on Sunday for lunch or who you should take out to eat one night this week. Although, of course, there are some lessons to be learned there. When it comes to hospitality, we too are not to be self-centered, only inviting those people whom we believe can reciprocate and therefore raise our social standing. Neither are we merely to associate with those who are like us or those we like. We need to see hospitality, which by the way, the Bible says is a gift from God. We need to see hospitality as a form of ministry and therefore use it to invite people who are not exactly like us, who are not in our network of friends, and in so doing, we might just learn something about other people that we certainly didn't know. We might have our preconceived ideas shattered. Here's an easy way to do that. The next time we have a church event that involves a meal, number one, sign up, but that's not my point. Number two, Sit with someone that you don't normally sit with. Find somebody that you don't normally talk to. You see, even in these environments, even in a church setting, we tend to sit with those whom we are comfortable with and those that we already know. But use that as an opportunity to meet and greet new people, stretching yourself just a little bit so that you might grow and help someone else do the same thing. But again, this parable is not primarily about table manners nor hospitality. It is about the kingdom of God. 
And as a result, there is no doubt that this story is applicable for all of us in the area of evangelism. Now, I'm not talking about inviting an evangelist to come preach a series of sermons. I'm not even talking about what the Bible calls the gift of evangelism, whereby there are some who simply are more gifted at this than the rest of us. I'm using the word evangelism in a more generic sense in which all of us have a part to play. Evangelism is simply the sharing of the gospel with those who do not know Christ. The Great Commission, along with other texts of Scripture, clearly tell us that it is the responsibility of every believer. So who are we to share the gospel with? And the answer to that is very easy. The message of the gospel is to be shared indiscriminately. Meaning just like this servant in the story who goes out into the highways and the byways and compels them to come in, that is how our evangelism is to take place. Without distinction of any kind. No distinction of race. No distinction of finances, no barriers of nationality or affinity groups. This is a message for people of all political persuasions, all income levels, all ages, etc., etc. Simply put, there is to be no distinction because all have sinned and therefore all need a Savior and there is only one Savior. Now, sometimes we debate and discuss soteriology. Soteriology is the theological term for the doctrine of salvation. So we have some disagreements on that as to how technically speaking salvation actually occurs. But in this, there is no debate. There is no argument. We are not to limit who hears the gospel in any way because all need it. And again, even here, I know sometimes we strive to speak to people who have uh, something in common with us. And sometimes we do that for good reasons. We think that if we can come up with a a commonality with somebody else, Evangelism Explosion always taught this, you you try to come up with something that you and this person have in common together, and then you can play off that in order to share the gospel. And I recognize that there's some benefit to that. But sometimes we, we overemphasize that and try to share the gospel with people who are like us because we think that will be more effective and we need to be reminded that the effectiveness of the gospel is not based on something I have in common with someone else. The effectiveness of the gospel is based on the power of the Holy Spirit as the word of God is shared. So it is not about me having an affinity with someone else. It is about me trusting God that he will do his work as I share the gospel. Furthermore, we ought to be doing this with a sense of urgency. You notice in the story that the servant did not just go out and casually invite them to come in. The text tells us that he was compelling them to come to the the banquet. When was the last time you had any sense of urgency when it came to sharing the gospel with someone you know who is lost? When is the last time you shed any tears over someone in your family or some friend who does not know Christ? When is the last time you compelled and pled with someone to come to faith in Christ? Again, our pleading is not what saves, but if this message is that important, shouldn't there be a sense of urgency? But of course, we know that everyone will not respond, and many, like this story, will make excuses 
But we are not responsible for the results. We are responsible for being faithful to share the message. Again, many people don't share because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. They're afraid they're going to hinder someone from coming to Christ because they haven't exactly said the right words. If that is your fear, you ought to be growing in your knowledge of how to share the gospel. And as you share the gospel, like so many other things, you will get better at it. But again, salvation doesn't depend on you saying just the right words. You're giving yourself too much credit. Give God the credit who is able to use our feeble efforts at sharing the gospel to bring people to faith in Christ. Now, I said earlier that we like to insert ourselves in the story, and there are multiple ways to do that. And so we've already said we are like this servant, and it's our job to go out into the highways and byways and indiscriminately compel them to come in to this dinner invitation. We would like to put ourselves in this story in the socially elite, the fancy folks who got the initial invitation, but we know that they turn out to be the bad guys. And so we're not going to put ourselves in their shoes. Instead, like it or not, we are the outcasts. We are the poor and the blind and the lame and the crippled. Not physically, but definitely spiritually. You see, like them, we did not deserve an invitation to dinner, but it came our way nevertheless. And we were not invited because we are gifted and the dinner just wouldn't be the same without us. I mean, let me just be honest with you this morning. Most of you are not very wise. Most of you are not very powerful. Most of you are not of any kind of noble birth. You say, well, that offends me just a little bit that you would say that. What I'm really doing is paraphrasing what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, not many wise were chosen, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. And then he goes on to say, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God which means we have come to this dinner not bragging that we were invited. We come to this dinner knowing we didn't deserve the invitation, but grateful that we got it nevertheless. So this morning, I'm inviting you to dinner, not at my house. I haven't cleared that with my wife, so that is not what I'm talking about. I'm inviting you to this great banquet that God offers, which of course is far better than anything I could offer. And everyone is invited. Now, many of you already have your nameplate at your spot at the table. You already have your reservation. And so your response is like this servant to go out and compel others to join you. That is not just my job, though it is. It is the responsibility of all of us. So will you this week pray and seek to share the gospel with someone you know that does not know Christ, and you do the role of the servant and extend to them this dinner invitation to the banquet of God? There might be a few here who do not have their reservation. I'm offering you a place 
at the table. And you might initially think, I don't deserve an invitation. You don't know what I've done in my past. And I agree, you do not deserve an invitation, and neither do I, nor anyone else. But as we've seen, the invitation is to go out to all, which does include you. And so the question for you is, are you going to make excuses as to why you cannot come? Or are you going to eagerly accept the master's dinner invitation? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have invited people like us to dine with you for eternity. We who obviously do not deserve such an invitation, but you invited us nevertheless. And many here have eagerly accepted that invitation. May we then go out into the highways and byways of our community and compel others to join us. And I pray that others who, who have not trusted you, that they would understand that the invitation is being extended to them as well and that they would eagerly accept and join us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing and you respond.